Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be inside Jem right now. Would you bless his preparation? Would you speak through him, Heavenly Father, from the Bible this morning? May you teach us something new from your word this morning. Lord Jesus, bless Jem as he preaches to us this morning, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Phil. Thank you, everybody. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Jem. I'm one of the elders at the church here, and it's great to well add my welcome to you this morning, whether you're here in the building. It's good to see you downstairs. Give me a wave. Good. You're there. You're awake. Fantastic. And up in the balcony, good to have our young people up there. Nice to see you. And Zoom. It's great having you connecting with us this morning. We do give thanks to God for technology, don't we? Most of the time, I, give, I don't give thanks to God for technology because it goes wrong, but I must remember that it's, it's been a real blessing to us, hasn't it? Um, we can be thankful for it. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but this week is the start of the week of prayer for Christian unity, uh, <coughs> which um, I found quite interesting because we've been going through the book of Corinthians, if you're just joining us. This is a letter that Paul writes to a church in Corinth, and part of the issue with the church is there is division in the church. Um, to the extent that people are behaving inappropriately, they're falling out with each other, <coughs> there's all sorts of stuff going on which shouldn't be happening. And over the last couple of weeks, Paul has been highlighting in this letter two specific cases where the behavior of individuals in the church is not what should be expected. They were causing personal division and conflict within the church. And Paul has been saying these things should not be happening in the church. Because the church is the people of God. The people of God are people who have been transferred from an old pattern of behavior to a new pattern of behavior. And in the bit of the letter we're going to be looking at today, Paul brings a severe warning to the church. He says if this sort of pattern of behavior goes unchecked, it really has significant consequences. So I just found it interesting that as we start a week of prayer for unity in the church, Paul is reminding us, of the, of the attitude and behavior that should be represented in the church because we are God's people. It's not about just covering over with a simple, oh, you're nice, I like you. There has to be deep-rooted love and affection within the church that brings direction, brings correction where needed. And as, as, as Matt said, it even brings discipline sometimes to the extent that sometimes people have to be put out of the church. So it's, it's, it's a serious issue. And this is, a good, this is the thing about when you, re, when you go through a book of the Bible um, from beginning to sort of end, you pick up on everything that's written there. You can't skip over those hard bits. And so we come to this warning, really. Um, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to be reading from verses 9 to 11. <coughs> So it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. It's quite a long list there, isn't there, of things that <laughs> would disinherit people from the kingdom of God. There's an expectation that this sort of behavior, sexual immorality, and that includes all sorts of different things, because it, it refers to adulterers later. Idolaters are those who put other things before God. The practice of homosexuality, theft, greediness, which puts other, yourself first and, and, and disrespects others, drunkards, revilers, so people who slander people, hate people, swindlers, as we looked at last week, there was a swindling going on in the church that led to the extent that someone had to be taken to court over it. These things, it says, these people who practice this will not inherit the kingdom of God. A severe warning to the church. I just want to touch on that this morning for us. Let's just, just go through this passage. Um, when I finished university, I, uh, I was based in London at uni, and I started to work in, in London. Um, I thought, I'm going to go to Stringfellows nightclub. Now, some of you may know Stringfellows. Uh, at the time, I mean, this is going back a few years, Stringfellows was like the business in terms of nightclubs. And, um, and I thought, well, it's got stringent entry requirements. So you had a strict dress code at the time. Um, age. The cost was quite high. And um, so with all these things in mind, I thought, I'm going to go. I've been a student, I'm going to go to somewhere that's going to be way more, way more sophisticated than the usual student haunts that I've had to go to for the last three years. So this is a great opportunity, I'll save up and go to Stringfellows and see what it's like. But you get in there, and yes, people are better dressed, the drinks cost more, the entrance costs more, but actually people were behaving in exactly the same way as the student haunts I used to go to. There is very little difference between what was going on inside than what had been going on outside. And I'd had this expectation, I'd been, I've, had, I've been deceived really into thinking that because this thing looks a really good thing on the outside, it's got all these stringent requirements, it's gonna be much more different when I get inside than what I've been used to. I've been deceived and when I got there I found actually, people were behaving just the same. People were exactly the same. The clothes, the money, it was irrelevant. It didn't make any difference to how people acted and behaved. And so often we can be deceived, into, can't we, into thinking that something may look the part, but actually it's not really the case. We can be deceived sometimes in the church into thinking we have a band. We have really upbeat music. We have a guitar. We have drums. We have backing singers. We have a keyboard. Whoa, we've arrived. This is what church is like. We're here. And we can neglect what the gospel really means. So we can deceive ourselves. This is what Paul writes. He said, do not be deceived. Or really saying, do not deceive yourselves. Do not get into this place where you're, you think you're in a position where you're not. Because we need to be examining ourselves. Paul brings this warning that they should not be deceived. And how have the Corinthian church been deceived? Well, throughout this letter, we've been seeing that um, Paul has been challenging the, the constant view of the church in Corinth that they are the true spiritual people. They think they've made it. They've got these spiritual gifts which they practice all the time. <coughs> There's a, 
They expect their leaders to be full of charisma, as we've been looking at over a few weeks. That that's what's important. It's how you speak, how you look. What does the church look like on the outside? Because that's important. What do we do in terms of spiritual gifts? Well, we've arrived. We are the, we are the true spiritual people. And this has led them to a, 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 an attitude of arrogance and pride. They are the truly spiritual people. They don't need any further instruction, especially from someone like Paul who doesn't map to their supposedly high standards. But Paul starts in this passage to say, he starts to almost mock the Corinthians by saying, or do you not know? And this is a phrase that's going to crop up in the next few verses. In the next few passages we're going to be looking at, Paul repeats this, or do you not know? Because they're saying we have reached the pinnacle of spiritual knowledge and are truly spiritual people. And Paul says, well, actually, okay, if you've got to that point, do you not know this? Do you not know, actually, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Surely you must know this if you're truly spiritual people. Surely you've reached the pinnacle of spirituality. Shouldn't you really know what spirituality looks like? And yet, you not only allow these behaviours, but you boast about them and almost honour them, that's going, all these things that are going on in the church, as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. So Paul is bringing this severe warning and this almost challenge to say, well, you might look like truly spiritual people on the outside, but actually, what's that, what you're demonstrating shows you're not. Because for Paul, and we see in this passage, truly spiritual people are not those who look good on the outside. But truly spiritual people almost have three distinctives that come out in this passage. The first distinctive is they know the future destiny. There's a few aspects that truly spiritual people understand and know and look forward to. He says, truly the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, which would imply that the truly spiritual people, the righteous, will inherit the kingdom of God. Inheritance is something that happens in the future. It's something that doesn't happen right now, but we're looking forward to coming again. There's a future destiny that truly spiritual people know. They think, you know, I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. The second aspect is that it's about their present actions. So they have this future destiny. But truly spiritual people are those whose lives and behaviours reflect that what they really belong to. So they're going to inherit a kingdom of God, a different kingdom from the one that is around them, a different way of living, a different way of relating to God from the people around them. So their behaviours and their attitudes should reflect what it means that this future destiny is going to happen. One where the way of life reflects the way of life of the king. Holy, gracious, merciful, loving, and obeying God our Father. We must remember it's not just Paul who holds these views. Because sometimes we can think, oh, it's just Paul. We don't, that's why I say, we get a bit arrogant sometimes. It's just Paul who says these things. We don't really need to listen to this. It's contextual. It was written at this time. It's not for us. Again, spiritual pride. But John, in his letter, in 1 John says, if you know that he is righteous, that's Jesus, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And Peter writes this in his first letter. um, He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. As time is talking about you are on earth, waiting for Jesus to come again knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, the way you look, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So how do we deceive ourselves in this sort of present age? Well, we can actually deceive ourselves in thinking there's no judgment. Paul writes, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's an implication of judgment there, a final judgment. But we can deceive ourselves in this, can't we? We can think, actually, God just loves everyone. It doesn't matter what people believe. It's not important because God loves everyone. Because he loves everyone, surely he will save everyone. He'll bring everyone into his kingdom because he is a loving God. But we deceive ourselves when we neglect the fact that there is a real judgment. Uh, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is a judgment there. There's a final judgment about who will be in the kingdom and who will not be in the kingdom. So as we deceive ourselves if we say that there isn't a judgment. We deceive ourselves when we think our behavior doesn't matter. That's what's been happening in the, in the, in the, in the um, Corinthian church. The, the Greek word that's used for unrighteous is adikos. And it's not just about your unrighteousness in, a, in your position before God, but it implies actions, dishonesty, wrong judgments. So when it talks about unrighteousness, it's actually talking about wrongdoers. So the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there is an implication that righteousness and unrighteousness does have an impact on behavior. So our behavior does matter. And if we're not careful, as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, an individual behavior within the church can spread, it says, like a yeast through the whole dough, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So it doesn't just have an effect on the individual, but it, it can seep into the whole community. And if, you, if we're not careful, we can all deceive ourselves in thinking, well, actually, that person does that, so that, that behavior must be okay. Therefore, we can do this. It's okay to do this because it goes unchecked. We don't check ourselves. We don't look at, are we deceiving ourselves in terms of, terms of our future destiny? Are we deceiving ourselves in, in thinking, actually, our behavior doesn't matter today? And the other way that we can deceive ourselves is, is our own weakness and God's power. And I think this can be expressed in a couple of ways that we live out. One is we get those powerlessness on our part. <clears throat> it's not my fault. I can't change because it's just the way I am. I've always been bored. I've always been like this. I can't change. I'm powerless to do anything about it. You don't understand what I've had to deal with. You're saying that because I know Jesus, things should be different, but you don't know what I've had to deal with. You don't know what's gone in my life. I'm the way I am because of everything that's gone on in, in my past, and I can't. I can't change that. I can't get away from that. I can't break it. Or I've tried, but it's just too hard. 
We deceived ourselves in the pa- understanding the power of God and our own weakness. We think our own weakness is what controls us. It's our own weakness that, what, that, is, that is what dictates our life and the way we conduct ourselves. But the other thing is, is overbearing power, which is something that the, the Corinthian church has been going through and what Paul has been addressing. But so, so, so the church can involved and caught up in these sort of things. The church can be seen as being heavy-handed in their approach to certain behaviors among Christians. I think because we can overemphasize our own importance. So we think our, own, the, the, our language and our practice can suggest that it's the people in the church who can change themselves. We adopt the world's attitude of, you can do this. You can be a better you. Be the you you've always wanted to be. And that language can come into the church. It overemphasizes our power. We deceive ourselves by thinking we can change ourselves. We can use terms like conversion therapy or deliverance ministry. Now, those sort of things are not necessarily wrong, but it's what they imply and the practice that goes along with that that can actually be wrong and can damage and hurt people. It is as if the practice of this particular treatment is what will bring change. And so if you don't do what I say, you can't change, is what happens. And so that language, that attitude, that behavior can creep into the church. There's a, we deceive ourselves about our own power and neglect that it's the power of God that can change people's lives. And the third thing, the third distinctive so if I remember, you remember I've, we've gone on a bit of a wander there, talk about behavior. But there's the future destiny, truly spiritual people, they will inherit the kingdom of God. There's present actions. So how we behave does matter, even though we may delude ourselves that it doesn't. And the third thing is our past transformation. Thing is, with for Paul, the emphasis on changed behavior has never been the emphasis of the gospel for Paul. He says, yes, it's important. Yes, it has significance. And yes, the way you behave matters. But it matters because of what has happened to you in the past. You're not stuck in the past of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm weak, my past behavior. Because what does Paul say in this passage? He says, and some of you were like them. And so were some of you. There's an implication that that was like, that was how we were. We were behaving in this way. But actually, those of us who are in the church, we have been changed. We were like that. But he implies by that by saying, actually, no, we're not like that anymore. And why? Because he says, you were washed. Well, let's say we. We were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We've been washed, sanctified, and justified through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think the individual words have any significance, so there's no pattern. This is not like a, you must do this. You must be washed first, okay? Then you must be sanctified, and then you must be justified. I don't think Paul means that in the way he's listed these words. These, these verbs, they're all metaphors, if you like, for salvation. They all mean the same thing. We've been cleansed. Washed means cleansed. 
You know, the, the, the old stuff has gone. We've been sanctified. We've been made new. We've been made good. We've been justified. So Jesus has taken a, a punishment that we deserved. So we have been justified. So they all mean the same thing, really, in terms of <coughs> salvation, expressing this facet of conversion, washed from the filth of their former lifestyle, sanctified, set apart for God, for godly living, that stands in stark contrast to the wickedness around them. Though formerly unjust, they've been justified, so that now, being right with God, because what Jesus has done and the work of the Holy Spirit, they may inherit the kingdom of God that before we couldn't reach. So they're chosen to express this full understanding of what it means to be saved into God's kingdom through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. For Paul, correction of this deception that I've been talking about, our self-deception sometimes that we can slip into, and we can all be guilty of that, Correct this self-deception starts with a true examination of ourselves and a true understanding of the gospel. As I said, some of you were like this, but now the implication is we've changed. We have entered God's kingdom through the cleansing and regenerating work of both Christ and the Spirit. This is about really the Trinitarian work of God in our salvation. The emphasis is not on our behaving better, but on the work of God. This is why for Paul and for the Corinthian church and for us, we can be sure that we can, we can change, that we are changed, and our behavior too can change. For Paul, there is to be the closest possible relationship between the understanding and experience of grace that we have and one's behavior that evidence is the experience of grace. Paul is as concerned as anyone about right behavior, and it should not be perceived as coming first or as leading to the experience of grace. That's not what he's talking about. But those who concern themselves with the grace of God and understand it, without equal concern for behavior, have missed Paul's theological urgency. It's precisely for these reasons that the warning in this text is a false security that would justify sinners who have never taken seriously, but some of you were. That is to whitewash the sinner without regeneration or transformation. And Paul, throughout this letter, as we looked at at the beginning, he, he wants to emphasize the correct understanding of the work of the Spirit. It's the, tra- it's the transforming and regenerative work of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again, as the Bible says. We're born again into a new relationship with God. We're born again into a new relationship of living. It's this regenerative work, the, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit now in, in changing and leading us into to, to new ways of behaving and acting. <coughs> Excuse me that leads us to the inheritance that we have, the future inheritance. In 1 John, John writes this, he said, if we, had, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To all those things we've been talking about, all those behaviors, 
the Spirit is able to transform us in. Even when we say, I can't, I'm too powerless to do it. I've always been like this. You don't understand where I've come from. It's the Holy Spirit that comes alongside us and, and it enables us. It's the regenerative work, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives because of what Jesus has done. Jesus said, didn't he, I, I need to go, I can't stay with you because unless I go, I can't send you the promised helper. He says, who's the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth, who will remind you of the things I've said. The Holy Spirit and Jesus, Paul is emphasizing here, is, is the regenerative work of both of those. The past work of Jesus on the cross that justifies us. The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that sanctifies us, that continues to set us apart, that helps us in our behavior. That's what, that helps in ensuring we don't become self-deceived. We're not, our own, our own self-deception means that we're not, we don't think we're good enough because Jesus has already made us good enough for what's happened in the past. Oh, I can never change. Well, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit the power to work in our lives. So when we really understand the grace of God, when we live in the grace of God through Jesus and the, and the work of the Holy Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and move in us, then we are changed. Our perception changes. We're no longer self-deceived. We can see that we do have a future destiny that's based on the past of what Jesus has done and the present work of the Holy Spirit preparing us and making us ready for our inheritance. So our behavior is important because it reflects the people who we are. And that's what Paul is saying here. There is a certainty in what Paul writes about, about the works of the Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But you were, but now you have been. He's saying that if we are truly followers of Jesus, then something has already happened. And because of this, we have been changed and we continue to be changed. So I want to show you a... <coughs> A, a, a video, a testimony of a church pastor. I'm just going to let the video really speak for itself. I'm Sam Alberry. I live and work in Maidenhead. I'm a church pastor. <laughs> I'm a Christian because I know that Jesus died for me, that he rose again from the dead, that there's good reasons for, for believing those things. I'm a Christian because the message of Jesus makes far more sense of, of who we are as people and the way the world is than anything else I've ever come across. The church has been great with my whole issue of same-sex attraction. Certainly the church I'm a, I'm a member of have uh, been supportive, they've been encouragement, people are wanting to, to be a good friend. And I've also appreciated that it's not defined how they see me, it's not the lens through which they view me. So they, they've been great. I've not had any experience of Christians getting angry or rejecting me because of it. Most people haven't really battered an eyelid and have just sort of thought, well, we've all got our own issues. This is one of yours. I hope experiencing same-sex attraction, having to kind of wrestle with it, I hope it's made me a more empathetic character than I would have been otherwise. This has not always been easy, but I think Going through that has helped me, I hope, to be a bit more patient with other people, to be a bit more understanding, I hope, a bit more compassionate than I would have been. Being single actually has been a real blessing. It, it's given me opportunities to do things I wouldn't have probably got around to doing if I was 
married or had children and it's given me a, a capacity for friendship that I don't think I would otherwise have and it, it means a lot to me to be able to have a wide range of friends and to be able to, I hope, be a good friend to others. Having same-sex attraction isn't always easy. Obviously, I'm experiencing desires that I don't want to have and that is, at times, can be very, very painful. Uh, it can be quite frustrating. Um, there are times when it's made some friendships a bit tricky and there are times, obviously, when, when singleness isn't much fun either. All the, the sort of opportunities and advantages of it. There are times when it would be nice to have my own family. I'm convinced what, what the Bible says on this issue is good because I'm convinced God is good. I'm convinced God is good because actually Jesus has shown his goodness to me in his, his death and resurrection. I see the goodness of his, his words in, in so many areas of, of life. The one who, who made me and knows me better than I know myself is going to know what's good for me. The very best thing that God can do for anyone is to give them life in his son and the Christian life is all about Jesus and for as long as God is offering a relationship with Christ to anyone he is not anti them. Uh, there are things God calls all of us to, to turn away from, there are things in, in all of our lives that we need to uh, to rethink and to to kind of give over to God but actually knowing Jesus is is what it is all about and that is the greatest gift God can give us. And as long as that gift is being offered, and it is, God cannot truly be said to be anti-anyone. One of the things Jesus says that, that most, I guess, encourages me in this whole area, and I, I hope would encourage others in other areas too, is that Jesus said on one occasion that, that anyone who leaves uh, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and homes and other things for him and for the sake of the gospel, even in this life, will receive a hundredfold in return. So although we have to give things up to be Christian, although we have to turn away from certain things, leave certain things behind, actually we, we always, even in this life, receive far more back from Jesus than we ever give for him. And so although there'll be certain kinds of relationships I'm, I'm not going to enter into as a Christian, um, I've received back from Jesus a whole wonderful other set of relationships um, within the, you know, being part of the Christian community, being part of the church family. Um, and so it's, it's never a bad deal to follow Jesus. Encouraging story, isn't it, for all of us? That yes, we can still struggle with thoughts, attitudes, but actually having that level of faith in Jesus, knowing what Jesus has done, caused that, that young man to, young man, look at him, I'm, I'm older now. <laughs> you may think, he's an old man. But I look at him and think he's a young man. But anyway, that young man just sort of, he still struggles with that, doesn't he? The honesty of that says, I still have these desires, but because I know Jesus, because I know the good things that God has done for me, I'm prepared to resist the behaviours that, 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 that my desires may lead to. And with the power of God, with the love of God, he's able to resist temptation because he knows of the goodness of God. And that's what Paul's always writing about. Yes, he challenges behaviours of all sorts, but he does it always in light of the gospel, 
always in the light of what Jesus has done, always in light of the, the fact that God loves us and gives us the power to change, gives us the power to resist temptation when temptation comes along. Whatever it is that we're struggling with, God has changed us if you believe in Jesus. If you don't yet believe in Jesus, then you know, you, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And there's an opportunity to come and know him. There's an opportunity to give your life to him, to say, Jesus, I believe what you did. I, believe, I, I want to experience this love and grace in my life that can lead me to transformation. Would you help me today? Many of us are probably familiar with the Scrooge story. Obviously, Christmas has just been and gone. We know the, some of you may know the Scrooge story. Um, whichever version you prefer, my personal preference is the Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, although, this, sadly, this, this year we weren't able to watch it because of all the, such stuff that was going on in family, etc. So we never got to watch it this year, um, which is a shame. But we all know the story, don't we? We know that Scrooge is given a warning. He's given a warning of what will happen if he doesn't change his ways. Doesn't he? And he's, <coughs> he's visited by the spirit of the Christmas future. Sorry, Christmas Past first, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's risen by all these different spirits. He's given a real warning towards the end that if this doesn't happen, then this is where you'll end up. Lonely, friendless, despised. And it's not a hypothetical one. It could, it's a real warning about what this could happen. But then, isn't he? He's visited by the, the ghost of Christmas past and present. And he's shown these different things. He's shown the influence of his past dictated his current attitude and behavior. But through his encounter with the different spirits, he realizes his attitude has changed. He sees things differently because of this encounter with the spirits. He's a new desire to change. But he's unable to change without this intervention. And he, he finishes with these words, I shall live in the past, the present, and the future. And let's not deceive ourselves. Our behavior as proclaimed followers of Jesus does matter. It affects our destiny because it reflects whether we truly believe the good news of Jesus. That yes, we act like many of the people who are not followers of Jesus. Paul says we're unable to change ourselves, but if we allow ourselves to be changed by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, our future inheritance is secure as we learn and put into practice what it means to no longer continue in our wrongdoing. That those things that used to characterize our life, but because of the past work of Jesus on the cross, we've been made righteous. And by the present work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and through the encouragement, as, that's, as Sam was talking about, of our fellow followers of Jesus, being together, encouraging one another, loving one another, urging one another on, correcting things when we think things need to be corrected, advising people to say, look, this isn't really where, where we should be going because of what Jesus has done. Through that continuing work, the present work, we continue to be changed. So just like Scrooge, I think we should also live our lives in the past, present, and future, honoring the position we now have that we've been changed by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, examining our present way of life and saying, do I need to change? And asking God and the Holy Spirit to help me change. Will you help me where this is needed? Help me to resist temptation. 
Help me, Holy Spirit, to overcome the passions that I may have, the doubts, the fears that I may have. Remind me of the good news of Jesus. And then knowing that our future destiny is one of inheriting the kingdom of God, a place of healing, a place of joy, a place where we live with God forever, knowing and experiencing the love of God all the time, an amazing future. So let's commit ourselves to live in the past, present, and future, examining our lives, reminding ourselves some of us were like this, but no, we've been changed. We're being changed. The band's going to come up. We're going to just respond, really, in faith to what Jesus has done. Respond in faith. And as we do so, let's just be reminded. Some of us <clears throat> may be hearing, you need to hear that promise that God has the power to help you change. You may have been feeling powerlessness. You may have been feeling, this, this thing in my life can never change. This behavior will never change. I'm just too weak to do it. And yes, you are. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside. If you're a follower of Jesus, that power of the Spirit is available to you. Trust in him. Learn to love him more. Learn to let him lead you. Pray and ask for help. But some of us may be continuing deliberately in patterns of behavior that we really shouldn't be, we shouldn't be continuing in. Because they don't reflect our future destiny. They don't reflect what's happened to us in the past. And maybe we need to heed the warning today to let's examine ourselves again. Am I, am I deceiving myself by saying it's okay to do this? Because I am loved by Jesus. It's okay to continue like this. Because that's the warning that Paul has been giving in the passage we're looking at today. So our behavior matters. But it's a reflection of who we are in Jesus. So let's just stand together. You may want to respond in your heart and say, help me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. I'm open to you to bring change. Will you help me?